Welcome to the One God Report podcast. Bill Schlegel here. This is podcast number 82 called Tips on Talking to Trinitarians about John 1. This is part three. In the first part, we talked about how in the beginning of John chapter 1, verse 1, is not a direct reference to the Genesis creation, but is a echo or a parallel to the Genesis creation. But the beginning in John 1 is about a new beginning that God is bringing about through the man, Jesus Christ. And then in the second podcast, our focus was on the phrase, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We can see that in that phrase, the word was God, God there is the Father. And if God is the Father there, Trinitarianism and deity of Christ ideas are totally off. But it's in this gospel that Jesus said, the Father dwells in me. It's the Father who dwells in me that does his works. There is never a, quote, God the Son or a God the Word that dwells in Jesus in the Gospel of John. It's always the Father. It's the Father who dwells in me does his works, Jesus says, John fourteen ten. Also in the earlier episode, we talked about the presence of John the Baptist already in verse 6 and how this is another evidence that this is not the Genesis creation that's being described here in the prologue of the Gospel of John. There's no reason for John the baptizer to be in a story about the Genesis creation in verse 6. Rather, Jesus and John are already being compared here because of the significance of the baptizer and his ministry. And John chapter 1 continues with that comparison. Jesus is referred to metaphorically as the light here already, in John chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9, John the baptizer was not that light. That is, Jesus was that light, as we learn in the rest of the gospel, of course. John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So it's the man, Christ Jesus, that is being compared to John the baptizer already in these early verses of the prologue of John's gospel. Now, in verses 9 through 13, in those verses, it's important to remember that the word world, it's cosmos in Greek, doesn't mean the physical planet Earth, nor the universe, like we use the word today, cosmos, to mean all the universe. But in the Gospel of John, and in other places in the Bible, but especially in the Gospel of John, this word is used to refer to human society, or a segment of human society. And in the Gospel of John, that segment of human society, the world that Jesus came into, was Israelite society, and probably even specifically, in some cases, Judean society. His own, Jesus' own, are the Judeans. It's the Judeans that rejected him. But many of the other Israelites in Galilee, even in Samaria and across the Jordan, they received Jesus. So we don't have a creation of physical planet Earth in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. These verses are about a new community of God coming to be. It's about getting a new birth and being born of God. Note how verses 9 through 11 lead up to verses 12 to 13. Verses which concern becoming a child of God, to be born of God. Again, John chapter 1 is not describing the creation of the physical world, seas, dry land, animals, plants. Rather, it's about the coming to be 
of people, the birth of the community of the children of God. So to emphasize, the word world, cosmos, in John 1, 9 and 1, 10, it's not the universe or the physical planet Earth. The world, the cosmos, in these verses and in this gospel is a segment of human society. Again, once a person realizes that the prologue of John is not about the physical universe creation, one can understand that this is talking about the creation of life for newborn people, the children of God, the redemption of the people of God. And then John 1.14, and the word became flesh. This verse, the deity of Christ interpretation, takes as the idea of an incarnation, that, quote, God became man, or to be more specific in their understanding, that one member of a multi-personal God became man. But that gets tricky. They usually will instead use language like God took on human flesh or added another nature or entered into flesh, these kinds of things. So even though they at first used the word became man, became flesh, it's another thing they don't usually like to say became flesh. They'll change that to he became man. In a lot of ways, once one just scratches below the surface a little bit, it's easy to see the problems with the deity of Christ's claim about John 1.14. It's maybe a little more difficult to explain what it really does mean. I'll give a couple suggestions in just a second. But again, I think if one can get out of the context of a Genesis creation, you're going to start to think of other possibilities for what this Jewish author is really saying. Is a Jewish author of the first century who believed that the man Jesus is the Messiah, really trying to say in a short phrase or two that the God of Israel is really two persons? So, 114 means something different than the Trinitarian world says, or the deity of Christ world says. And a big part of that is this word became. We'll come back to the word became in just a minute. But the way I understand 114 is this is the beginning of the third paragraph in John's prologue. And this paragraph is a review or a restatement of what he's already said, but then he's expanding just like a three-part harmony song. But here, the different paragraphs, the different harmonies are given successively. So he's repeating, he's reviewing what he already said, that the word is the human being. And he has been compared to and shown to be preeminent to John the baptizer. So if the man Jesus has already been introduced and compared with John the baptizer in verses 1 through 13, a short statement about conception or birth of Jesus here in 114 makes no sense. Keep in mind as well that the Gospel of John nowhere describes anything about a birth or conception of Jesus. So, as a review and expansion of what the author has already said, John 114 could be translated as, So, the Word was flesh and dwelt among us was flesh. That means the word of God in this particular case is the human being who we're going to learn is called Jesus of Nazareth. There's not a transformation from one nature to another here. Right? I don't believe in 
transgenderism. Neither do I believe in transnaturism, transnatures. The Trinitarian deity of Christ, people really have to believe in transnature here if they think that this means that God literally became flesh, or God the Son took on human nature, or Jesus entered into human flesh. You see, that denies that Jesus is a real human person. If a pre-incarnate God the Son entered into human flesh, there's no human person then. And we know that this gospel states clearly that it was God the Father in the man Jesus, not God the Son. But to take on human flesh or to enter into human flesh are very different actions than becoming flesh. And the Greek word here does not mean to take on or to enter into. I think another good question for a Trinitarian friend, if he thinks John 1.14 says that God became flesh, is to ask the person, so your God is flesh. If your God became flesh, then he's flesh. Your God is flesh? So one really has to think about what this word became means. And it's a word that has lots of different meanings. And it's used five different ways in the prologue of the Gospel of John, like simply was or came. These are various ways in which this word can be translated. It doesn't mean necessarily a transformation of nature. This is the way the deity of Christ believer, the Greek thinking person has taken it, that it means a transformation of nature. So to the deity of Christ believer, Jesus is a transnatured being. He's actually a non-binary, transnatured, not transgendered, but transnatured being. He's God-man together. It's like he could be male and female together. Deity of Christ believers really need to be confronted with their belief in the transnaturism or the trans-essence of one being to another. Do they condemn transgenderism but believe in transnaturism? Which is the greater boundary? The boundary between male and female or the boundary between God and man? So if we want to understand this word became as a change or transformation, there's no reason to take it as a transformation of essence or nature. Another possibility could simply mean a change of method. For instance, God spoke, God's word came in different ways in past times. For instance, we could say of Moses' day that the word was two tablets of stone. This is the way God's word was given. It was the methodology. In other times, God's word came in dreams and visions and sometimes an audible voice. But in the case with Jesus Christ, I believe the author of the Gospel of John is saying, we have a different situation, a unique situation. There's been a change in methodology. And this is stated quite clearly in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where the author says, long ago, at many times and in various ways, God spoke, right? There's God speaking his word. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. That's exactly what John chapter 1, verse 14 is saying. The word of God now is the human being. He's flesh. So if we're going to insist on this word became, it's the Greek word, again, from Ginnamai, 
we're going to insist on this being a transformation, which I'm not totally convinced that it has to be. It can be translated simply as was or came. He showed up on this scene, a human being. God's word came this time as a human being in the days of the author. He recognizes that the man, Jesus, is the word of God. I'm not totally convinced that transformation is necessary here, but if you want to go with the idea of a transformation, just as viable is this transformation in how God has spoke in the past times, various ways. Now he has spoken to us through a son, the man, Christ Jesus. In addition, consider the possibility that to the Hebrew biblical mind, you and I also became flesh. Every single human being has become flesh. We've entered into the scene of human history. We've become flesh. Because anything that's flesh in the biblical mind, not in the Greek mind that misinterpreted this, the Greco-Roman Christian church fathers that misinterpreted this, but in the biblical mind, anything that's flesh is not God. We can know from the book of Genesis what or who was flesh, birds, animals, and man. God is not on that list. So a biblically-minded person, once he knows that something or someone is flesh, it's not God. It's a created being. Sure, as we saw in John 1.1, the word was God, the Father, in action. Right? It was God the Father in Christ Jesus. So this statement, the word became flesh, or the word was flesh, says exactly the opposite of what the Trinitarian world is saying. The word became flesh is declaring the word is not God, it's flesh, it's a human being. Then John 1.14 continues, the word dwelt among us. So here we're, we're first starting to get the experience of the author himself. He uses the plural pronoun us, that the word dwelt among us. So we have the personal testimony of the author. The word dwelt among us. It was the word dwelling among the people. The author sees that it was the word living among the people. The man, Jesus, was the word living among the people. And I think there probably is a parallel here with the tabernacle in the wilderness, that Jesus is a temple for God. Now, he's not God the Son inhabiting the fleshly body or something like that. But this is the Father who's in Jesus. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. As we've said before, it's God the Father who is in such a unique relationship, we can say he's in Jesus. Now, this word in doesn't mean ontologically. We can see that Jesus is like a temple. He's like a tabernacle. Just like we are, believers are a temple of God. God is in us. We're his temple. But it doesn't mean that I am God. God in us doesn't mean we are ontologically God, right? My nature or something is God now. It's not what it means. Even the phrase in Christ, which is all over the New Testament, we are in Christ. It's a word that means relationship. To be in Christ means we have a relationship with Christ. God the Father in Jesus means he has a relationship with Jesus in a very unique way, in a very special way. And like there was a, a glory in the tabernacle and even associated with Moses, John goes on in this verse and says, we beheld his glory 
glory as of a unique one or a unique son from the Father. There's a a differentiation again between Jesus and the Father. The glory that Jesus has as the unique one was given to him by the Father. And then we can see that the author returns to the testimony of John the Baptist in verse 15. Jesus is preeminent over John. This is one of the points he's making throughout the prologue and in the rest of chapter 1. Just read the rest of the chapter 1 of John, starting in verse 19, and you can see that, hey, you know what? Maybe the prologue is about the relationship of Jesus and John the baptizer, that Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is the one that's like Moses. Jesus is the one who was with God. Jesus was God, the Father, at work in very unique ways. We've already mentioned verse 17, where Jesus is parallel to Moses. Both Moses and Jesus were God's channels to bring good things. But the source of those things is God, the Father. Now let me talk about John 1.18. If we come back to the idea of the problems with the Trinitarian and deity of Christ interpretations of the prologue. Let's start with the Trinitarian interpretation. My guess would be that most people we talk to about this are Trinitarian. So I think it's very important to say, okay, now hold on a second. You're going to John chapter 1 as your main evidence that God is a trinity. Your main evidence. Let's get a wider view here for a second. So God has not revealed himself as a trinity. It's going to be in this 43rd book of the Protestant biblical canon that all of a sudden we're going to learn that God is a trinity. You're going first to John chapter 1. This is your best chapter. You keep telling me, what about John chapter 1? What about John chapter 1? So this is the best chapter. But here's the problem. In John chapter 1, God is not a trinity. The word God is not a trinity, and nowhere is God a trinity in John chapter 1, even in the Trinitarian understanding of this chapter. So something might be wrong if your main chapter that you think shows that God is a trinity is John chapter 1. Why come to this chapter? Isn't there a better chapter of Scripture that shows that God is a trinity? Why didn't Jesus describe that God is Trinitarian in the Sermon on the Mount? Or somewhere, Paul, in the book of Romans, he's describing the relationship of Jews and Gentiles and the law, all these different topics. Somewhere he couldn't have explained to us that God is actually more than one person, So this is a big problem with the Trinitarian interpretation. Like I said, put the word Trinity anywhere in here for God and see if it makes sense. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Trinity, and the Word was the Trinity. Or even if you don't like that, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Father, and the Word was the Father. Again, a Trinitarian can't say or can't believe that the Word was the Father. So there's no Trinity. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit or a third person of God being three persons in one being or something like that. The God of John chapter 1 is not a trinity. The God, the only God, the Father, is perceived in the words and works of the man Jesus. So in most Trinitarians' mind, what they're thinking is, okay, Jesus is God. So my best evidence for that is John chapter 1. But there's also big problems with the deity of Christ interpretation of John chapter 1. And in the last podcast, I mentioned these, but just in short, we can see that the word is subordinate to God 
in this chapter. And things come to be through him. Even if you think this is the Genesis creation, for instance, in verse 3, or the world that came to be through him in verse 10. Even if you think this is the Genesis creation, which it is not, but the word is subordinate to God. The word is not the source of this coming to be. Think about that. Your word is not its own source. It's dependent on you, on you speaking it. Your word may have a certain equality with who you are. It may be an expression of who you are, but your word is dependent on you. Your word had an origin, you. Even so, Jesus, the word, is dependent upon God. God is his origin. Jesus, he's the channel. He is participating, yes, but he is God's instrument, or he's God's channel through which this comes to be. And here we can take a look at John chapter 1, verse 18, which says that no one has ever seen God. If no one has ever seen God, then Jesus is not literally God. Yes, he manifests God. Yes, he represents God. But no one has ever seen God. So here is another indication that Jesus is not equal to God in essence or in his eternality. And then there's this famous textual variant in the rest of John 1.18. You can see the variants or the variation by just comparing English translations. Some English translations say like this, The only Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Or the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Now if Jesus is begotten, he's born. He's subordinate to the Father. Or if you want to take this as the other textual variant is that he's the begotten God, then he's still subordinate. He's begotten. He has an origin. Or if you want to take this as the unique God, the only God who is at the bosom of the Father, he's subordinate to the Father. Deity of Christ believers insist that Jesus is the same essence and co-eternal and co-equal to the Father. But that's not what John chapter 1 says. Jesus is consistently subordinate to God the Father. If anything, this would be interpreted that there are two gods, one greater God and one lesser God with a small g, like the second century Logos theorists, Justin Martyr, for example, understood Jesus to be. So for the deity of Christ interpretation, John chapter 1 is a failure. If you want to think that this is the Genesis creation here, and that Jesus is involved in the Genesis creation, he's subordinate. Things have come to be through him, but the source is the Father. God's not a trinity in John chapter 1, and the Word is the channel of what comes to be in John chapter 1. He's not the source. The Word, the Logos, is subordinate to God. And then finally, one other thing I think that's important is that we do need to know a little bit more about the context of the Gospel of John. And if we're going to have an interpretation of John chapter 1, verse 1 and 114 that contradicts or disagrees with the rest of the Gospel, something's wrong. So there are some other verses in the Gospel of John that I think are important to know. For instance, in John chapter 8, verse 40, Jesus says that he is a man 
who told the truth that he heard from God. If Jesus is God, he would never say that. Even if he was a God-man, he would never say that. And God here is the Father. And Jesus says continually in the Gospel of John that he did nothing on his own authority or his own initiative. John 5.19, 5.30, 8.28, 8.44, 8.44, He does nothing on his own initiative or on his own authority. A God person would never say that. He'd be lying. Jesus differentiates himself from God in the Gospel of John. For instance, John chapter 14, verse 1. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So he's not God in this Gospel. Jesus has a God in this Gospel. And the God of Jesus is the same God as the apostles. Remember John chapter 20, verse 17? which he said to Mary Magdalene, he told her, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Jesus has a God in this gospel. His God is the same God as the apostles' God. And then Jesus in the gospel of John said that the father is the only true God. John chapter 17, verse 3. And the author of this gospel actually gives us a purpose statement for the writing of his book. In chapter 20, verse 31, as he sums up, he says he recorded the signs that Jesus did so that his readers would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the Son of God is a title of the king who's been appointed and designated and has a relationship with God. He's not God. So the writer tells us why he recorded the signs Jesus did. It's not so that we would believe that Jesus is literally God or that there's another God figure we must now believe in or that God is triune or something like that. That's not in this gospel. So I believe the author and I don't claim that I know better why the author wrote his book He tells us why he recorded these miraculous signs that Jesus did. Not so that we would believe that Jesus is God, but rather so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So keeping the context of the Gospel of John in mind is important. Sure, there are a few other verses in John's Gospel that Trinitarians claim is evidence that Jesus is God. Sort of clues that, oh, now... We can see that Jesus is God, like the Father and I are one. Or Thomas's statement, my Lord and my God. All these verses have been shown to be understood in better ways, and still there's no Trinity. Why aren't Trinitarians going to verses or chapters in John's Gospel that declare that God is a Trinity? You're supposed to be a Trinitarian, not a Binitarian, not trying to prove that God are two. Shouldn't the main verse, the main chapter that you think establishes your faith, explain that God is triune? Yet, instead, you're trying to somehow suggest that the Father is God and also Jesus is God. And then you're going to combine that. You're going to assemble this God of yours. If your God needs to be assembled, it's an idol. So, to summarize our tips for talking with Trinitarians about John chapter 1, The beginning in John chapter 1 is not about the Genesis creation. It's about the new beginning, new life, 
that God brings about through the man, Jesus Christ, the human person, Jesus Christ, who's called the Word. The Word was God means God was in Jesus, as this Gospel says. Jesus said, it's the Father who dwells in me who does his works. There's no God the Son or God the Word in Jesus. The presence of John the Baptizer so early and often in John chapter 1 is evidence that this is not a story about the Genesis creation, but rather it's a contrast between the man Christ Jesus and the Baptizer and what their relationship was one to the other and the prominence of Jesus. And then the word world in John chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 is not planet Earth. This is a word that means a segment of human society, specifically Israelite society. John chapter 1, again, is about the coming to be of a new people of God, about being born of God. And then John chapter 1, 14 is not about an incarnation. Again, this gospel does not say that God the Son took on flesh any more than it says that God the Son became flesh. If you want to say God the Son became flesh, then is your God flesh? And how many natures does the Trinity have? One or two? Not Jesus. How many natures does the Trinity have? How many essences? Is your God flesh? Biblical people shouldn't believe in transnaturism or non-binary natures. The Bible describes no such thing. John 1.14 is better understood as so. The word was the human being. We learn his name is Jesus Christ. Or, in contrast to God's word in Old Testament times, how it came, with Jesus, there's a new status, a human being, flesh, was God's word. God has now spoken to us in a son, the man, Christ Jesus. And then it's pretty easy to show Trinitarians that there's no Trinity in John chapter 1. And it's pretty easy to show deity of Christ believers that the word, the logos of John 1, is subordinate to God. The logos is an expression of God and is dependent on God. The Logos is not his own source and is not the source of what comes to be in John 1. He's the channel through which things come to be. Jesus, the Word, was seen. God was not seen. In all these ways, the Word is subordinate to God in John chapter 1. I'll just close by noting one other parallel between Paul's writings and the Gospel of John because I think we can see that this interpretation of the Gospel of John, that new life comes to be through the man, the human person, Jesus, and that life is the light of men. The same themes the Apostle Paul picks up on and describes. Okay, that's John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. That which came to be in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Well, listen to Paul when he gave his testimony before the Jewish, quote, King Agrippa and the Roman procurator Festus in Caesarea in Acts chapter 26 and verse 23. He's kind of summing up here. And he said that the Christ must suffer. The Messiah must suffer. This is Acts 26, 23. The Messiah must suffer and that 
by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles, unquote. See this idea? Same idea in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is about a man who lived on this earth, who was put to death, whom God raised from the dead and exalted to his right hand. Jesus Christ is the first to rise from the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead ones, as the book of Revelation says. And here Paul says that being the first one to rise from the dead, life came to be in him. He would proclaim light both to the people, that's the people of Israel, and to the Gentiles. This is what the Gospel of John is about. The resurrection of the man, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Life. Life came to be in him and through him. He was raised from the dead, and in him is life. And like Paul says, being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light. First is life, then light. John chapter 1 is not about the Genesis creation, where light was first and then life. John chapter 1 is about the life that comes to be in the man Jesus Christ, and that life is the light to the people of Israel and to the Gentiles. The humble will hear and rejoice.